Amen. If you are a fourth or fifth grader, you can head on out to your kids' ministry. And I need five volunteers. And I'm wondering if you five could be my volunteers. Since you're already up here, here's what I need you to do. Stand about right here awkwardly for a few minutes. And then we're going we're gonna to get into this. All right. Okay. One. Oh, I got to give you this. All right. You got it. Okay. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to talk a little bit about the people who live their life. Uh, actually, Kevin, maybe we do switch those lights now that I got them pulled up here. Let's do that. There we go. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the five groups of people that Jesus tends to interact with throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And these are going to represent those groups. So Dylan, hold, there's your sign. Dylan's a Pharisee, okay? So that's Dylan. He's a Pharisee. Obviously, Betsy is a zealot. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Joel is a Sadducee. This is Joel the Sadducee. And then Don is an Essene, which is, I thought would have been a weird wordle word, but it's only six, it's six letters. And then Josie, obviously, is a Herodian, okay? So I just want to tell you about these groups of people and what their deal is, what's really, really important to them. Let's start over here with Dylan the Pharisee. So Dylan and the Pharisees tended to live most of their life out in the Galilee, which is the north part where Jesus is doing a lot of ministry. So you see Jesus interact with Dylan and his friends a lot. So the thing that's really most important to Dylan, if you can kind of maybe hold that underneath there, and the Pharisees is holiness. They are all about the law. They are all about holiness and righteousness. They are so worried that God might take their nation away. And the way to prevent that from happening is we're going to stay holy. We're going to stay righteous. Dylan, Pharisee, holiness. Got it? All right. Then we've got Betsy the Zealot. So Zealots are interesting because they're often family members of Pharisees because they also have the same fears. They're so afraid that God's going to take away their country or their, their nation. He's going to destroy them or punish them if, they're, if, if they don't like follow the rules. But they have a different, instead of holiness, Betsy and her friends are all about violence, right? I, I don't know what to tell you. That's just, historically, it's true, right? Uh, they are all about violence. In order to keep their, their community pure, they will kill people who stand in the way of that. Roman sympathizers, people on the outside. So zealots are all about violence, okay? That's, they're centered around violence. They're centered around holiness. And the Sadducees are interesting because they're cent- centered around what's happening at the temple right now. These are like priests. Well, they're up in Galilee. They're down in Jerusalem around the temple. That's a really, really big deal for them. And their way of understanding the faith is that there is no afterlife. All that matters is right now, right? So they're no afterlife. All that matters is what's happening right now. So their life is completely centered on the temple. So 70 years after Jesus, when the temple is destroyed, this whole group of people just goes away because the center of who they were went away. And then you get Don. Don is the Essene. You probably haven't heard much about the Essenes, right? Um, Essenes are very different than the Sadducees because they kind of only care about the afterlife. They have this belief. They would live, they would separate themselves out and they would live in monasteries in the desert. Some people think John the Baptist was one of these kinds of people and they would commit themselves to God's word and to prayer and to holiness out in the desert because for them, 
They didn't care about what was happening right now. They only cared about the afterlife. Their most important thing was at some point, God was going to come and he was going to lead a war between the sons of light, the Essenes, and the sons of darkness, which is everybody else. So these people were all about waiting, waiting for the afterlife, right? Joel doesn't think there's an afterlife. Don only cares about the afterlife, right? And then you have Josie, the Herodians. Uh, The Herodians are like religious kinds of people, but they don't really care about their religion unless it helps them feel more comfortable in life. So what they would do is basically they're a political group. They're a political group who would say, our job is to go along to get along, right? So, okay, Herod's in charge. We're going to go along with Herod and whatever he wants so we can get along and so life feels comfortable for us. They had like this guise of faith and religion, but really all it was was a prop in order to get what they wanted. Pharisees, Zealots, Sadducees, Essenes, and Herodians. That's your history lesson for today. Here's my question for today. Which is the right way? Which is the right way? All of these people are faithful people trying to follow God's law, trying to be, maybe not the Herodians. They might not care at all, actually. But at least these four, they just have a different way of going about it, right? They have a different viewpoint on the world. So which one is the right way? That's usually the answer from all of them. Okay, you guys can take that with you. Go have a seat. Thank you. Let's give our friends a hand. They totally had no idea I was going to do this, and I thought it would be fun to not tell them, so I didn't. All right? So here's the question. Is that any different from you and me? Do we have any fewer options on how we understand the world and following Jesus? Is it any less confusing to you and I to clearly understand what does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ today, right now? I don't think so. Because we don't live in a world of Sadducees and Pharisees and Zealots, right? But we do live in a world of issues. There's a long laundry list uh, of things uh, right now where you have to decide what is the right way to believe on this particular topic or that particular topic, on voting or elections or libraries or what do I do with loan forgiveness or uh, what school should my kid go to and what curriculum should they be taught when they go to that thing? What about people who live life differently than I do? What do I do with that, right? How do I engage with that? Or even on a personal level, what if there are people in my life who I care about or who've hurt me? How do I understand how to follow Jesus in the midst of all of that. And we can go on and on because it seems like that list just grows every day. Every day, it seems like there's a new issue that I need to make a decision on. Are you overwhelmed with that? I am. I'm overwhelmed by people asking me where I stand on an issue that I didn't even know was an issue 10 years ago, right? So I think we really relate well to the people in Jesus' life. Because these five groups, just like us, all had different ways of understanding faithfulness when it comes to the issues of their day. They all had a different way of answering their list of issues in their time. And what we've been seeing in this series that we've called Authority and Power 
uh, is that these five groups are all kind of converging in one week in Jesus's life. They all show up at the temple at the time of Passover in this week that we call Holy Week. We usually look at Holy Week right up to Easter, uh, right before Jesus' crucifixion. But you have all of these different viewpoints and all of these different groups centering on this temple, and they keep running into Jesus. And they keep asking him a bunch of questions. And they keep arguing with him. And they, 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 they're doing what we often tend to do. They're trying to engage him and say, where do you align in relation to us? So they do what we tend to do. They ask him a bunch of hypotheticals, right? Let's read this hypothetical. This is Matthew uh, 22, uh, starting at verse 23. The same day, the Sadducees, right? Joel, our Sadducee, what was really important to him? Right now, the temple. They don't believe in life after death and resurrection, right? So the same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, see, I'm not just making that up, it's in the Bible, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up the offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us, and the first one got married and died. Since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third, right on down the line to the seventh brother. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, which is a funny question because they don't believe in it, right? Whose wife will she be of the seven since all of them were married to her? What a weird question, right? Here's the situation, Jesus. What if some woman married seven different brothers and they all died, right? They don't know this woman. They don't have any particular person in mind. I I really doubt this actually happened ever, right? They were using a hypothetical situation that they just made up to ask Jesus about his position on an issue they cared about, right? What is your position on the issue of resurrection and afterlife. So whenever you're asking a hypothetical question, it's often for the same reason. I want to see what your position is on this issue given a hypothetical circumstance. And so again, what was the deal with the Sadducees? No afterlife, right? So you better believe they had a clear position on this. What's yours, Jesus? So what I want you to see is that it's a test. It's not a real question. There's no woman, there's no brothers, they don't really care about any of that. It's just, it's a test. Testing to see if he knew the right answer, their answer, if he took the correct position. And we do this. We do this too, right? You look to see how someone at your dinner table or in a new relationship kind of answers a a vaguely political question and then you size them up and you go, oh, that's where they are, right? Right? You see what kind of bumper stickers they have on their car, what kind of flags they have in their front yard. And when we know a little bit of something about someone's position on an issue, we use it to determine how we're going to interact with them. Again, we're not any different than these people, right? And I love how Jesus responds because he totally calls it out. Here's his response. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. 
At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So I know this might not impact you in the same way it impacted them, but listen, here's what he's saying. At the most fundamental level, you do not understand what the Bible says about the new creation. In heaven, he's he's like, look, look, you want to have a conversation about this issue? You don't even understand this issue. In fact, this is the point that he's making. You are so preoccupied with what happens when you die, with your position on death and resurrection. But God is not a God of the dead. He's the God of the living. What matters most is not your thinking about what happens when you die. What matters most is the living right in front of you. That's his criticism. You're missing what's in front of you because you're preoccupied with this afterlife issue. And the crowds were astonished, it says, not because Jesus clarified his position on an issue, but because he took an abstract, hypothetical conversation and instead taught them about dealing concretely in the world they live in. Jesus presents, I think, a compelling question to them, but also to you and I today, right now, right? The question essentially is your faithfulness as a disciple determined by an abstract issue or by actual living concrete people? That's his challenge. Is your faithfulness as a disciple determined by an abstract issue or by actual living concrete people? That was his response to these people who wanted to put him in a position. And he actually takes it a whole step further because he wants to make this so clear He's been having these interactions with all these kinds of people this whole time. And he's like, look, you guys keep trying to pen me in here. And he's like, let's get really clear. So another group of people shows up. Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced Joel and the Sadducees, Dylan and the Pharisees, right, got together. Now, what was their deal? What was the word we use for Pharisees? Holiness, that's right. They are so focused on the law and keeping the law. Holiness is so important to who we are, right? And one of them, an expert in that law, I wonder what it's like to be an expert of experts, right? Tested him this, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Of course they're going to ask that question. Because <laughs> that's the only thing they care about. Sadducees are going to talk about afterlife. Pharisees are going to talk about the law. One group had their shot, and now the next one comes up, and they're saying, Jesus, again, where are you in this? Now, if you're a faithful follower of God and God's commands, if you're even a normal person, not a Pharisee or any of these kind of people, right, it's kind of natural, I think, to have some questions about following God. Namely, like, what's the best way for me to follow God's commands? Because there's a lot of them. In fact, faithful Jewish people at the time of Jesus, and even today, recognize 613 different commands in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That's a lot. It's a lot that you've got to follow. So how do you do that well? And 
honestly, you're probably going to mess one of them up. So if I have a choice between this one and this one, what's more important for me to not screw up on, right? Let's say I'm on my way to synagogue on the Sabbath day. And I see that my neighbor has got a donkey stuck in the ditch on the side of the road. It happens to you guys on the way to church, I'm sure, right? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Do I honor the Sabbath day and do no work, but yet leave my neighbor to fend for himself? That's a choice. Uh, or do I love my neighbor and lend a hand, even though it causes me to like, break the laws on the Sabbath? That's a different choice. People in Jesus' day who cared about the law worried about these choices. How do I order God's commands so that I can make sure that I stay holy? So that I can make sure that even if it all falls apart, I'm not breaking the most important thing, right? What's the number one thing? What is my one job if I want to be faithful to the Lord? I don't know if you guys have ever seen those memes, those uh, you had one job memes. They're like my favorite, right? Like, let's show this first one. You had one job and it was to spell the word stop and you messed it up, right? Or the next one, you had one job and it was to get the door handle in the right position. Or you had one job and it's just to know the difference between a hot dog and a hamburger. These people are doing the same kind of thing. What is my one job? What is the one thing I'm not supposed to screw up? And what's fascinating at this time is this is not the first time they've asked this question. They already had answered this question. People had already put all 613 in order. And of course, because they're people, different people had different orders from other people. It's like ranking your favorite Marvel movies, right? Some of you know that Avengers Endgame should be at, top, at the top. But some of you don't think that way, which is fine. But anyways, that's what they're doing, right? Religious people as a whole, as a rule, they all actually understood the very first one. Everybody's list started with the same one. And it was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Everybody recognized that's the number one thing. And then after that, it all went chaotic. They all had different, uh, they all disagreed on what came next. Uh, and, and, and you kind of aligned yourself with a different school, like, so there was a school of people who followed this rabbi, a rabbi, his name was Shammai. And they thought Leviticus 19 verse 1 was the next commandment. Be holy as God is holy. Right? So that was the next one. The first one was love the Lord your God. The next one was be holy as God is holy. There's other schools of people. One by uh, a group of people led by a rabbi named Hillel. Uh, they thought Leviticus 19 verse 18 was the next one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously, Dylan and his Pharisee friends were so keyed in on holiness that they were a Shammai school kind of people, right? Be holy as I am holy was their top dog. That's the most important thing. Where do you land, Jesus? That's what the Pharisees are asking. Whose list do you agree with? Are you this group? Are you that school? Are you this one? Do you prefer it this way? What's the order of the commands? Again, it's not a question, it's a test. And he answers. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Great. We already all agree on that. So far, so good. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So he gets really clear. And if we, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, had one thing that could help us, we had one job that would help us prioritize everything else that we do, what would it be? What's the one job of a faithful disciple? Jesus says, it's really clear. Love your neighbor. That's the filter for everything that you're doing. He's so crystal clear about this. I'm curious, if you were to really take stock in your life and you were answering the same question, what would your answer be? This is what I think my number one job as a disciple would be. Would it actually be what Jesus said or would you, like Pharisees, argue with him just a little bit, right? Would your one job as a follower of Jesus be religious activity? Going to church, giving a tithe, praying a prayer before a meal? Is that your one job? Would your one job as a follower of Jesus be uh, religious knowledge, biblical knowledge? Like, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to go to Bible study, I'm going to listen to sermons and podcasts of people who are smarter than me. Religious knowledge. Is that your one job? Would it be social activity? I'm going to spend time with other religious people. Would it be political activity? I'm going to vote a particular way. If you had to answer this question and answer it objectively, look at how you've lived your life and say, what does that tell me about my answer to this question? What do you seem to think your one job as a follower of Jesus would be? Jesus is not very straightforward all the time. We've talked a lot about that, that he leaves a lot of things unclear. He often answers things with just stories and says, go figure it out. But not this time. With these two groups of people, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, he's really crystal clear. If you want to love the Lord your God, which is what we all want to do, it's number one on the list. If you want to do that well, then loving your neighbor is the most important command you can follow. Loving your neighbor is the filter for every single situation you run into in your life. And I love that it's interesting to me because Jesus doesn't answer that question in a bubble. He doesn't just like sit at home and write down what he thinks the answer to these things are. It's not random. He knows who he's talking to. He knows who he's talking to up here, right? He's talking to a bunch of people who prioritized holiness above everything else. He's talking to a bunch of people who would not help their neighbor with a donkey because it was more important to them to stay holy on the Sabbath Sabbath day. And what he's doing, Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they are prioritizing the wrong thing. Listen, there's, there's oftentimes I say something on the stage and you might want to have a, have a conversation with it about it or argue with me about it, but this is, I'm not making this up. Jesus is very plainly clear saying this. You are prioritizing the wrong thing and prioritizing holiness above loving your neighbor is the wrong way to go. Luke also records this very same conversation. Interestingly, Luke adds a story behind it. It might be familiar. This is Luke chapter 10. In reply to these Pharisees and Sadducees, um, he said this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be walking, or happened to be going down the same road. 
maybe one of these Sadducees. They care a lot about the temple, right? And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, maybe a Pharisee, right? When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a person whom any of these people on the stage here would, would look at and go, they're not even a person. They're not one of us. They're barely a person. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus says, after he tells the story to his religious people, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law, the Pharisee, said, obviously the one who had mercy on him. Go and do likewise, Jesus says. A priest and a Levite passed on the other side of the road. Both people were prioritizing their holiness. But a Samaritan barely a person in their eyes, took pity on that person and helped them. And it's a startling example to the people who are hearing it. Because what it calls out is that religious people tend to use their power, their status, and their authority. They use it to not love their neighbor. They use it as an excuse to walk on the other side of the road. They have all of these theological questions all of these hypothetical scenarios, they play out in their mind. Well, what if it's this? Would we do this? What if it's that? Would we do that? But they forgot the purpose of all of that theological thinking. It's to love. It's to love the people who are right in front of you. What matters most is not your thinking on what happens when you die. What matters most is the living people right in front of you. What matters most is not your ability to stay pure and holy. What matters most is attending to the people in front of you, no matter how it inconveniences you. What matters most is not your position on an issue, but your posture towards people. Because positions on issues are not the same thing as a posture towards people. Because your position is abstract, maybe hypothetical, but your position or your posture is concrete with people around you. Jesus seems to think that how we interact with our actual neighbor, not the hypothetical one, is what matters most. What's your number one job as a follower of Jesus? It's to give attention to your posture toward the people around you, to love your neighbor. And we've got a laundry list of issues and topics in front of us that grow every single day. So did the people in Jesus' day. And it sure would be nice if we could just boil it down to the most simple thing that we could apply in all situations. And the truth is, Jesus does that for us. In every situation, on every issue, if you are prioritizing holiness, you might not be loving your neighbor. But if you love your neighbor you will be faithful to God. And just let me name that you might be in maybe one of two places today. As you hear Jesus 
confront these groups of people and talk through the law and all that kind of stuff, you might be feeling uh, maybe one of two things today. And they're both okay, but they both invite us to take a next step. So first, you might be realizing this morning that you're a Pharisee. You might be realizing that your posture towards people has been compromised by your position on something. You might be realizing that your concrete love of the people around you has been compromised by your abstract, hypothetical position on an issue. For us who find ourselves in that position, we have to ask the question, does our desire for holiness and righteousness compromise our position of love to our neighbor around us? I want you to know that if you find yourself in that position today, Jesus' invitation to Pharisees and to you and I is the same for everyone. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. And repent just seems, just simply means like, I'm going to turn around and walk in the, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to walk in the opposite direction and do things differently. So if you're finding yourself growing a Pharisee's heart inside of you, the best invitation is to say, I need to acknowledge that and live differently. I'm going to make a point at avoiding engaging an issue and instead take a step to engaging a person concretely in a way that I can love my neighbor. And this is kind of where I sit. I'm a Pharisee. I feel that. I feel that struggle a lot. So that might be you. Second, you might be someone else. You might be someone who's feeling like the Pharisees have pushed you away from Jesus. You might have been someone this morning who never really got a clear look at Jesus because you have been treated as an issue instead of a person. You may have never felt like you belonged because of the issues that are going on in your life and you just felt like, I could never bring that to Jesus or his people. If that's you, I want you to hear this morning that I am sorry that Jesus didn't push you away. We did. Jesus told us that how we treated you is more important than how we thought about you. And I didn't do that well. I don't do that well. We, as as a religious group of people, tend to not do that as well as we could. But we are not Jesus. Jesus still invites you. I want you to hear that we are not Jesus and he doesn't push you away. Jesus invites you to repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. Instead of turning away from Jesus, he also invites you to turn and walk back towards him and find a new life. I think we all need help finding our way back to God, every single one of us. And we are all invited to take that next step. So let me leave you today with a homework assignment something practical that you can actually do. Um, It's really, really simple. All you you have to do is say, I want to sit and I want to kind of process this idea of my position on an issue versus my posture and people and how do I, how does this apply in my everyday life? Take a piece of paper and put a line down the middle. On the left-hand side, I want you to make a list of every kind of topic or issue that you can think of that you might have a position on even if you're not even sure, just list them all out. Like, what is it, how do I think about X, Y, or Z? It shouldn't be very hard. These topics are coming up all the time, right? On 
the left side, make a list of all the positions that are most concerning to you in your life right now. On the other side, make a list of the people who matter most in your life right now. As long as you can. And the question you have to do with that list is to say, which issues am I most concerned with in my life? And what person in my life does that issue impact? How are they connected? I wonder what issues I have in my life that don't have a real person attached to them. That I'm so concerned about this particular issue, but yet no one in front of me is struggling with it or dealing with it that I know of. I wonder what people are in my life that are dealing with issues that I don't care about because I've prioritized something else instead of them. Because if our issues and our positions don't connect directly to who we're interacting with in our everyday lives, Jesus seems to tell us that we are missing it. That the number one job of our our following of Jesus is to love our neighbor. What are the people around me struggling with, dealing with, wrestling with? Here's a great way to keep this in mind. I'll give you a little mantra as we close today. Uh, A mantra that you can just repeat over and over again that will help you ask this question no matter where you are and what you're doing. Uh, If you're taking notes, write down this question. It's really simple. What does love require of me right now? What does love require of me right now? When you find yourself stuck or in tension, don't ask, how do I win? How do I prove I'm right? Just do your one job. What does love require of me right now, in this moment, with this person, in this situation? Now, that doesn't mean you need to be spineless. Jesus absolutely was not that way. It also doesn't mean you need to allow someone you love to just carry on in their wrongness. Jesus absolutely refused to do that as well. But Jesus was driven by love, and he answered the traps, but he never set traps for anyone else. So the question, our one job, always boils down to, what does love require of me right now, in this moment? Otherwise, we end up like the Sadducees, or the Essenes, and we're just thinking about what happens after we die, and we're missing the world right in front of us. Or we end up like the Pharisees or even the Zealots, and we're so focused on doing it the right way that we're missing the people right in front of us. And if there's anything that Jesus tells us is more important than anything else, if we want to be faithful to God, we have to give our attention to where we are and to who's in front of us and ask, what does love require of me right now with this person? Let's pray. Lord God, I am grateful today uh, that we're not alone. God, that other people have uh, struggled with the kinds of things that we struggle with in our everyday life. And God, I confess that as we tend to struggle with the abstract issues of our day, that I often fail to see what's right in front of me. I often fail to see who's right in front of me, God. And I pray that you would remind us today that you would take us out of this place and help us to see who you're putting in our path and what maybe they need help with, what maybe they need love in their life. God, help us to ask the question that I believe you asked when you sent your son to be born 
of a virgin and die on a cross. You said, what does love require of me for these people that I love so much? God, and you did it. God, may we be people who uh, incarnate the word as Christ did. Let me pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.